LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody, today is going to be an MMT AMA. I want to start this conversation with a quote from a guy named Samuel L. Johnson. He says, knowledge is of two kinds. You know a uh, subject yourself or you know where to find information on it. Okay. And as an activist, I'm not an economist. Let me say that right up front. I'm not a professor, although I have the credentials I could teach in university. I do have a master of science uh, in technology management with a graduate certificate in strategic management of technology and innovation. Boom. I also have a master of business administration uh, with an undergrad IT project management certificate and a bachelor of science in information systems management. I am also a professional project manager. Uh, I am a PMP by trade. I have got the certification and I am also a professional scrum master and all that is just so you understand who I am and where my knowledge, if you want to call it, that comes from. And uh, ultimately, I have been at this modern monetary theory thing since when the great the global financial crisis hit. Um, I had already been learning about MMT uh, through a bunch of individuals that were in an old group that no longer exists, or if it exists, something different. It used to be called Grumbine's Political Mosh Pit. It was singularly the best early political debate forum on Facebook back before things got crazy um, of all time. In fact, we had some of the best people ever in there. I mean, Warren Mosler and all the people you grown up knowing and loving that we've introduced you to over the years were in there before MMT blew up. Now MMT blew up and everybody's doing their own thing in the stratospheres. Um, but ultimately it became a very, very important piece of my life. I learned on my own through tremendous amounts of people feeding me information, but also because my life had been fucked up. I had lost a 17 year career at, uh, Bell Atlantic slash Verizon. And, um, you know, here I was, I, I was going for my PhD, you know, um, of course, I should be able to find a job without any problem because I didn't understand what was going on during the great financial crisis. I was not where I am today. Then 2008, nine, I was just finishing up with a master's degree. The 2008 was my last degree that I received. And that degree was the master of business administration. And um, I ended up going to China for about a month for my capstone, two or three weeks anyway, for my capstone um, for that uh, second MBA that or the second master's degree that I got during that time period, I was still a Republican. I was still very much in process. I was a Ron Paul guy, big time Ron Paul guy. In fact, I supported Ron Paul in 2012. Um, 
And so I, I came from the libertarian side. So all the stuff you hear me talk about frequently, um, I was a right winger. So I speak fluent right wing. I was a libertarian. I speak fairly fluent LOL libertarian. Um, I got into all the creature from Jekyll Isle shit. Um, I was a Rothschild hater. I've got, I look back, my memories from Facebook are like a who's who and how stupid can Grumbine be? I look at some of the shit that I put out there and I just laugh now. I mean, and I share it with people too, because it's part of my story, right? It's part of the proof of why I do this so much is because I was a right winger folks. I mean, a right winger. Okay. I listened to Rush Limbaugh every single day on the ride into work. Every day. I listened. I listened to him on every day. Dano, I'm tanned, rested, and ready to run. You know, dead president of the United States. All those things, right? So I, I was there. And MMT, the knowledge of modern monetary theory, was the thing that cracked through the fucking brain fog that wouldn't allow me to divorce myself of you should have made better choices. You know, why didn't you all? Well, you know, I was the one that stayed home at night doing my homework. Why didn't you do the same thing? All the same bullshit you hear from right wingers and conservative Democrats, right? Same thing. I was new, different garden variety. Um, and so I think it's important. I think it's important to know that MMT is a kind of lens that changes all the bullshit that goes on between your ears. And it really fundamentally made me rewire all these things I'd learned in grad school, rewire all these things I learned being the Sig Heil right winger. Folks, I mean, I had all the traits of a right winger. Bigotry, a lot of it was founded in not understanding. So when I see the stuff that I see out there, I understand that MMT is a game changer the knowledge of what is possible with MMT is a real game changer. And one of the things that made it real easy, and I'm glad Sundar put this up here. I want to say this so you guys know exactly how true the statement is. The Republican party fully understands MMT, although they won't say they understand MMT because what they do is they understand that they can cut taxes for the rich and it's not going to not fund programs. You can cut taxes and spend more and it wouldn't cause any problems. It would, it, it's all about what you're trying to solve, okay? And if you think back to Dick Cheney way back when, Dick Cheney came out and said, Ronald Reagan proved to us that deficits don't matter, okay? You don't get much more right-wing than Dick Cheney, okay? Dick Cheney, King Warhawk, okay? The, the mastermind behind the W world, all the wars that we went into under W, Dick Cheney, famous for it, okay? These guys worked hand in glove with a contract for America. They worked hand in glove with all the insanity that pulled down Glass-Steagall with Bill Clinton. They worked hand in glove with so much stuff. In fact, one of the things that was really important about what they did also, as they worked through this process of getting Bill Clinton to basically undo just about every meaningful protection for single moms and the poor and you name it, through making government efficient, right? Making government, he and Al Gore single-handedly destroyed our country by trying to make, make government efficient, try, you know, this efficiency, all these buzzwords for capitalism and the idea that we're going to make our government operate like a business. 
Okay. So this is that right wing thinking that Bill Clinton pulled into the Democratic Party. It was already starting to be there under Carter, Jimmy Carter. So this neoliberal era that MMT helps me help me really unplug from and disengage from and not think about anymore started all the way back then. Okay. Jimmy Carter, he of the Volcker era. Jimmy Carter of the Milton Friedman era. Jimmy Carter, the original Austerian. Jimmy Carter with the sound finance pay-fors. Jimmy Carter with the you know balanced budget and everything wrong. Jimmy Carter's great carpenter post-presidency helps a lot of people in his you know anti-poverty stuff that he does today. But as a president, the thing that people don't know, and it's very depressing because a lot of Democrats will simply say, Jimmy's sacred. Yeah, can you be mean to Jimmy? Jimmy might have been the most neoliberal. He is maybe the worst in that sense. So much bad stuff happened. And Jimmy Carter very much reminds me in some ways of Joe Biden, although even less, right, valuable in that sense. But both of them were feckless. Both of them were weak. Both of them had a demeanor about them that made them ripe for the pickings from someone like a Ronald Reagan or in the other case, Donald Trump, or maybe a DeSantis. We don't know, okay? But ultimately, this neoliberal era has been going on for a long time. So within all that framework, I'm going to, before we get started in the AMA portion of this, I'm just going to state for the record, modern monetary theory is a lens. In other words, it helps you understand how all the plumbing works, it helps you understand if you do what you think you were going to do, like a uh, job guarantee, what would that do to the economy or Medicare for all? What would that do to the economy or uh, going to war or um, raising interest rates? It helps us understand all of that stuff. Okay. And so for me, once I understood that MMT was a lens, I started asking more questions and I found out where good resources were um, on and on and on. And so I started reading Warren Mosler's book, Seven Deadly Innocent Frauds. I also read, and I can show you these links as we go through this, but I also read a old blog place called New Economic Perspectives. New Economic Perspectives is largely not functioning like it once did anymore. It's a UMKC student-led blog. It, a lot of good writers, Scott Fulweiler, Stephanie Kelton, uh, Bill Black, many others wrote in there. I mean, Joe Firestone even did back in the day. So there's a lot of folks that wrote over there at New Economic Perspectives. J.D. Alt, who writes oftentimes for Real Progressives, is there. Um, so we have tons of people that wrote over there. And Randall Ray wrote the MMT Primer in, I think it was 53 blog posts that made up the Primer and ended up becoming the book the modern monet, modern money primer, I think it is, or intro to modern monetary theory, or intro intro to modern money, or something that if I don't have it in front of me, I have a couple copies of it actually out there on my bookshelf. But these were the things we had. We had no memes. There were no memes whatsoever. We didn't have any of these cool infographics. Um, we didn't have podcasts. We certainly didn't have guys live streaming the stuff constantly. A lot of it was like these. Um, things where the modern money network would have debates with the Austrians and Warren Mosler and Kelton or banking stuff with Eric Timoyne and others. And they were kind of in an academic setting in a classroom setting where these young legal scholars were bringing in these uh, folks 
to talk about economics in this new modern monetary theory framework. You can see they took the approach that money is a creature of law. It's not some social construct that we just randomly come up with. It's a creature of law. It's a patent. And one of the things that's very interesting that it took me a little bit of time to get a hold of was I had always thought a dollar was simply that piece of paper, that little piece of paper, right? That's a dollar. And somebody asked me, have you, what's, what does a dollar look like? And I was like, oh, it's green. And he's like, no, 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 that's not a dollar. I was like, what do you mean it's not a dollar? And I, I was like, huh? And he says, no, a dollar is a unit of account, like an inch or a pound. It is a measure. It's a way of measuring something. And in this case, they're tax credits, okay? Tax credits, what does that mean? It means the United States government issues its own tax credits to be paid back to it and destroyed. Like they send them out there for us to use in the economy. And when they come back to the government, government has no use for your money. It doesn't respend your money because it was a coupon that it put out. Think about Domino's Pizza. Okay, they print a million Domino's coupons and send them out in the mail and they hand them out at wherever, you know, grocery stores, insurance companies, put them on bulletin boards, whatever, right? Put a million of them out there. What do you think Domino's does with the 50 cent coupons that they went ahead and issued? Because they're the, the, the coupon issuer. What do you think they do with those coupons when they receive them? Okay, what they do is they say, ah, we've received one of our coupons. We're going to take 50 cents off of this pizza, and then we're going to destroy the coupon. That's what the federal government does with your money when you when it receives it as a tax. And that sucks because I'm behind in my taxes, and the idea of working my ass off to pay for it, my money to be destroyed sucks, right? That uh, doesn't feel good, right? And so when you understand that the purpose of the tax itself is not to pay for things, but is instead meant for us to need the currency, right? So otherwise I could just be a libertarian and say, well, I don't want those US dollars. I only want shit coin, right? Well, good. But then how are you going to pay your taxes? Well, you're going to have to transfer your shit coin into US dollars so that you can then in turn pay your taxes. That's the whole point of the money because the government needs to be able to buy goods and services from us to do things, to build armies, to I mean, horrible things, good things, bad things, whatever, to do whatever it does. It requires labor. It requires real resources, materials, product, uh, industrial production, weapons of mass destruction, you name it, whatever it wants to buy, it needs to be able to have a way of doing that. And so what it does is, is it uses its unit of account. This is not unique to the United States. And this is something very important. There's a lot of folks out there Folks, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They go out there and they tell people that without the petrodollar, the U.S. dollar doesn't buy anything. Well, I assure you, when the U.S. government comes to collect taxes, it's going to collect it in U.S. dollars. So it's going to have value whether you have confidence in it or not. Okay? This is why it's so hilarious when you hear people, what if they lose confidence? Uh, okay. And what if you're in jail for not paying your, and the thing you lost confidence in, right? It's almost hilarious when you think about it. So it's like no amount of teen angst is going to get you out of the point that the dollar isn't going anywhere. No. Will the dollar have its sway over the rest of the world? Well, that's a different story. So instead of us being a nation of 
net importers that just take everyone else's hard work and labor and enjoy cheap prices. We may have to bring some manufacturing back home, which the last check I had, a lot of you people are like, we got to bring the jobs back home. It shouldn't be any big deal to you, right? All the weeping, oh, what happens when they, they lose the petrodollar? And what happens when they, oh, I don't know, what is if it's not the world reserve currency? Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Not a, not a lot, really, right? Because we, we're the predominant, by far and away, the world's reserve currency. We are the number one big boy in the, in the fish tank here in terms of we are used for petroleum purchases, but it's what they call a numeraire or a placeholder. In other words, they say, hey, well, we, we, we price gas in U.S. dollars, okay? This is obviously a, a special drawing thing where people need to have U.S. dollars. This adds to their need to have U.S. dollar reserves to pay for petroleum purchases. That's a, that's a real thing. Wouldn't hurt my feelings at all if they stopped doing that, right? It might even change fundamentally the way that we operate as a country. Either way, it doesn't really matter. The people that say, oh, we're, we're all going to die. It's just more hair on fire. I don't understand what's going on, so let me breed as much fear into this as I possibly can, okay? So get past the petrodollar. It's a non-thing. I know you're going to hear our friends on the left talk about this. God love them, okay? Hopefully one day we can unwedge not understanding state currency with this whole petrodollar thing because it's really irrelevant. Japan has their currency the exact same way our currency is. Japan buys its own debt so they can continue to deficit spend ad nauseum. They have 200% debt to GDP ratio. Actually, at one point in time, it's approaching 300%, okay? They have almost no inflation. Why is that? Because the government isn't afraid to say, you're not gouging. The government isn't afraid to deploy price controls. They're not afraid to do any of the things that need to be done at all. And their cu culture, as a result of it, respects and responds to one another. Okay. So that makes them a little different story. China, the same thing. China produces its own currency, it's not the world reserve currency. It's one of many. Same thing with Australia. Same thing with the UK. You name it. Okay. So ultimately, if you think about this, we know that the United States dollar, which is what we're largely going to talk about today, because most of us are either US, but you can translate this to the UK with the British pound. You can look at uh, this with all the other, the Russian ruble even. Okay. Even though Russia has been isolated from the rest of the world does not change the fact that they are still can be viewed and understood through the lens of modern monetary theory. Does that make sense? Okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try to read through some of your, uh, some of your comments here and answer as many questions as I can. Let's go back through here. Thank you. Double K for the super chat. Let's go up here. I'm going to answer this one right here because this one is one that drives me crazier than anything else. Um, so he says, quite the lie. The public has been sold and perpetuated, perpetrated. I think some of the Fed Rothschild's BS is intentional disinformation. So look, just understand this. Libertarians hate, capital H-A-T-E, hate government anything. They hate state control of everything. They would like a government so small you can drown it in a bathtub. 
So when you understand that the government itself is the creator of its unit of account, meaning the inch, the pound, the dollar, right? Then that makes libertarians lose their shit. They don't want that, okay? Now, to be fair, I think most modern monetary theory uh, developers and uh, even next generation um, uh, evangelists and other practitioners and legal scholars would tell you that they would like to see the democratic understanding of how to deploy money and not just have it centralized 100% that they would like to spread the Fed as uh, uh, our friend Robert Hockett says. But others would just simply say, we need to make sure that we are not allowing the Fed to be filled with bankers and neoliberals because the Fed, it doesn't do, <laughs> I, should, I should step back before I answer more of this Rothschild question. The Federal Reserve is there for a couple of things. This is one of the big things that jumps out and snake bites everybody from actually listening and understanding, okay? 1913, the Federal Reserve was born into existence. A lot of smoky rooms out there at Jekyll Isle and a lot of stuff under Woodrow Wilson's brain. You've got the stories that Woodrow Wilson on his deathbed, I should have never created the Fed. It's my last dying thing that I should not have done that. Okay, well. The Federal Reserve Charter started them, but it's been changed a hundred different times. And we've got some really great materials out there. In particular, there is one by Rowan Gray. If you check out Macro and Cheese or you look out Rowan Gray, History of the Federal Reserve, um, he's, he, he magnificently explains all the debates that have gone on over time as to the independence of the Fed. So what is the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve is like an ingress or an egress. Do you know what the ingress and egress is? Let's talk about that real quickly. The ingress or the egress, that means the in and the out of the system, okay? So the Federal Reserve sits itself right between the federal government that neither has nor doesn't have dollars because every dollar they have, they spend into existence, okay? And then the rest of the world that relies on Congress to pass laws and bills that have spending in them to get money into the system. Or, or we have to take out bank credit to put money in the system. Either federally spend money into the system or private debt, you and I taking out loans. That's it. That's the end of the story, right? That's the end of the story. So with that in mind, with that in mind, Understand that so much of the lies that you hear are from libertarians who hate the federal government and don't understand that we could make the government work for us. Now, mind you, I'm not foolish. <laughs> In fact, I'm on the side that doesn't believe that this current Congress, the president, any of this stuff, that we're not voting our way to a better future. We're going to barely eke by that the idea that our government is going to be responsive to major calamities other than war. Um, simply I I've seen no evidence. I'm 53 years old and I see absolutely zero evidence to suggest that we're going to receive anything from any of these folks as they stand. Okay. Modern monetary theory doesn't depend on them doing anything. MMT is a description. It's a lens. It's a theoretical framework to tell us what is possible and what is not possible. It's not something to implement. It's not something that will ever someday be implemented. It's here now. It's the way it works now. The difference is you've got neoliberals and neocons running the strings, okay? 
and then they lie through their apparatus, the propaganda mill, which is the mainstream media. And then the rest of the activists are busy. You hear people sucking on lies from the tablecloth and from the bar stool with most of the alt media out there that really, really butchers economics to the point where they're almost unlistenable to me. Okay. Um, MMT does not encourage communism. Whoever said that is just, it's repulsively uneducated. It's disgraceful, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even be kind to that. Um, I, I, as much, I, and by the way, I wouldn't be opposed to that, just so you know, all right? But it's one of those things where it's insane, okay? It, the MMT does nothing like that. We don't want capitalism, in my opinion. Nobody benefits from capitalism, not even the capitalists, ironically. Um, but that's not, that's not MMT. I want to stay within the realm of MMT for this conversation. So with that in mind, understanding that the federal government, Congress, Article 1, Section 8, has the power of the purse, okay? Congress also has the power of the tax. 1946, a gentleman named Beardsley Rummel, who was the Fed chair at the time, uh, came out in the uh, Federal Reserve uh, notes for that period and said, point blank, that the end of the markets have come, that there's no need to worry about interest rates because we realize that taxes are not a financing operation. Taxes do not fund spending, okay? Bye, Bruce. We'll see you later. Have a good day, Bruce. D. Bruce, see ya. Anyway, so with that in mind, we, we went ahead and sent D. Bruce out of here. Um, I want to make a point that if you understand that Congress is the key holder here, Congress also manages the Federal Reserve. Even though they don't, they do. By law, all of these things are under the control of our Congress, okay? There is this idea of independence. And what that is intended to be is a way of keeping politics out of, supposedly keep politics and ideology out of monetary operations. But when you put neoliberals in power. What do neoliberals do? Neoliberals do neoliberal things. What is it that a neoliberal wants? Let's talk about that for a minute. Neoliberalism wants to privatize, absolutely mass privatization. Okay. Yes. Congress is a puppet show. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And if you think about this, if you understand this, it's very important because Congress is the one we should be pointing at. Congress, however, allows itself to be captured by big business. Congress allows itself to be influenced by big money. Congress allows itself to play beta to donors instead of doing the right thing because money is power, money is speech, and corporations are people in the United States, okay? So all these rules and regs have gone in to making this bastardized system that we have. And it, I don't see any way to really vote our way out of it. It's a self-protective system, okay? It wants to protect itself. It wants to protect capital, that's its point. Protect capital from the proles with the pitchforks and the torches. It wants to protect private property because who has private property? Rich people have private property, okay? Your, your hairbrush and your house and your, uh, you know, your computer and your phone, that's not private property. That's not the private property we're talking about. Private property is owning the means of production, okay? In terms of 
institutions in terms of actually having, uh, you know, like, for example, the petroleum industry should not be in private hands. We should not have these things like that. These should be owned publicly. They should be public ownership. Okay. So within that space, just understand MMT is a description of how it is. Now, all the politics and stuff doesn't change that. It just changes the war that we have to fight. Okay. So if you understand that we can do all these things because we can't run out of money, we simply cannot run out of money. We just keystroke the shit right into existence like we do now. Obviously, it requires a bill to be passed, which is how they keep us in the doghouse right now because Congress doesn't serve we the people. Okay. This is why the every election cycle thing is so unsatisfying to most people. You're not going to get what you want. The people that get in power are always going to have a scapegoat for why something wasn't done. There's always going to be a parliamentarian. There's always going to be a rotating villain. There's always going to be something that blocks the will of the people. I don't think this is anything you haven't heard before. I don't think this is anything you don't already know. Okay. So with that in mind, the final thing I'm going to say is this. We have currency users and we have currency issuers. Within the currency user and the currency issuer framework, the United States government, federal government, is the currency issuer. When it passes a law, it's created currency. The Federal Reserve, in turn, keystrokes those things into bank accounts. That's the currency issuer. That's how money gets in. The currency users are states, similar to the EU, European Union. Okay, European Union has a European Central Bank, the ECB. Okay, and the other European Union countries are like the states in the United States. So if you think about that, the United States states can't quote unquote print their own money. You have to rely on the federal government or you have to rely on private credit, just the same. So in the European Union, it's a very similar situation. It's federated to some large extent that they have dropped. They had a, um, a 3% deficit um, threshold that they could run in the different countries. Uh, I believe that's been lifted. Uh, you can check out our podcast with Dirk Entz on Macro and Cheese for more information. All right, Top Cop, sorry about that. Lunch is over for you, man. I feel really bad about that. So, all right, let's go through here. I'm going to go through the list now that I've said what I've said. Hopefully that helped. Uh, let's go back to the top. Um, I am going all the way to the top of these things. I see Kevin M has put a lot of questions in there. Thank you so much. Let's start with you, sir. Um, okay. So first question from Kevin M. Can you share with us your insight as to why the Republicans are better at keeping their ranks together on issues versus Democrats? Um, I am not a uh, political scientist, but I am aware. And I think, there's three things at play there right off the top of my head. Number one, I believe that the democratic party frequently uh, is seen as the lesser evil, right? Uh, whereas the Republicans are more pure in their, whatever they're doing. So Democrats dull down their left. They tap, tamp down their left. They, they really try to squash the left while Republicans embrace their edge. They embrace the, the right. Okay, and so by doing that, nobody feels crushed by the Republicans. And they have a simple issue. They want to claw back what was gotten by the Democrats, if you will. 
it's it's all schadenfreude but you get my point they've got one purpose and that's to protect the status quo to to eradicate for freedom so anything that smells like freedom it doesn't matter how it's wrapped anything that's labeled as freedom allows them to unify on that word that buzzword democrats don't have that and the democrats don't serve the left anyway the democrats are still a capitalist party as are the republicans so you 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 always say oh my god i can't do the republicans they're so bad and so the natural thing is, oh, okay, well, then we'll do the, the Democrats. Well, the problem is, is that the left knows that neither of them are telling the truth. Neither of them are addressing people's needs. Neither of them are anti-war. Neither of them are pro-people. All of them lie to us. And it's so evident. And you've seen it really come alive, spotlight shining down since the Bernie Sanders part one and part two. It was on full display. So it's very, very hard when all you're doing on the Republican side is blocking change and trying to peel it back, while on the left, you've got a million splinter ideas on what we could do, okay? And it's always tamed down by the Democrats who say, now, 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 that's not pragmatic. And then they strip away anything that the left would want, and then they end up doing what the right does with a smile with better bedside manners. And that's the essence of why I believe that's the case. That and a bag of chips gives you a bag of chips, my friend. I can't say I'm right. I can't say I'm wrong. But I do believe what I'm telling you to be true. All right. So let's go on down here to the next one. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. No, Samuel Johnson. <laughs> um, learn MMT. Uh, FYI, Scrum Master is not a character in D&D. Okay. Why doesn't the Republicans jump? Here we go. Why doesn't the Republicans jump on MMT and use it? as a leg up on the Dems that dismiss it. They do all the time without using the word MMT because they don't want you to believe that the government can spend on the people. See, the idea is Republicans are pure in their hatred for, for people in general. Right? They, they clearly want business to reign supreme. They feel like anything the government does for you is taking away choices, it's taking away freedom, and it's therefore blocking free enterprise and so forth. So it is very, very easy to understand that Republicans do embrace it. They spend through the nose and tax cuts for the rich, um, but and they spend big on war. They're always willing to spend more on war, no matter how much they maybe didn't take us to war during, uh, you know, overt war anyway with Trump. Trump was still actively bombing the world, just like Obama was and just like Biden's been, et cetera. It's no different, no difference at all. Um, so, okay, so of course, in fact, really right now, I, it's really gross with the whole Ukraine thing, but we're not going to get into that. It's not what this is about. Of course, the Republicans would use MMT to enrich their donors. That's exactly what they do. Um, let's see, I uh, just got done listening to Trustonomics. I know he went back to lunch, but my goodness, good stuff. Uh, embrace your battle scars. Thank you, Cheryl Van Epps. Yes, I embrace my battle scars. They're part of my story. Um, I'm going to scroll through here. Republicans practice Republicans practice MMT all the time. That's how they spend on the military and tax cuts. Hey, I just said that. We're on the same page, Sundar. Good deal. Um, Kevin M. Ouch, that's deep guessing. Okay, Tom Murphy. And read his comment. I didn't go through... Uh, I didn't go through going up Republican or right wing. Thankfully, I came from a left wing family, but they still didn't know MMT. Although my dad always said public money, not taxpayer money. Give that man a cigar, right? Um, 
The war has taught us the taxes for revenue. Here we go. The war has taught us that taxes for revenue are obsolete is basically what Dick Cheney meant to say. That's true. Uh, the, the Cold War, you know, all the deficit spending that was used against Russia back in the day. Um, Mark Fabian, those on the left who deny MMT and prop up orthodox economic, economics are, as Bill Mitchell has said, neoliberals in disguise. That is very true. Um, but, 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 but they were paying too much for toilet seats. Yes, of course, we've got to worry about the taxpayer dollar myth because when they spend money, it's oh, certainly going for it's our taxes, right? And 15 cardigans, thanks to Jimmy Carter, you poor thing. Um, that was Desert Manus. Um, scrolling through another one from Mark Fabian, top cop toilet seats that were designed for existing B-52 airframes with lots of R&D involved and no commercial applications, so not overpriced. Um, Jimmy Carter made a much better ex-president than the current president. All right, so let's get through some of these uh, comments and get to a question. Can I X out the share without restarting? Yeah. Or I go smash that like button. Yes, please do smash that like button. Um, let's see here. Anything else? Uh, I'm looking for, looking for, Good comments here that we can do. Uh, taxes create the need and value makes so much more sense. Immediately click for me. Yes, good deal. My question is, why is Crystal late and why is she using y'all? <laughs> Funny. All right. Truth. This is truth. Thank you, Double K, once again for having my back. Always. Um, Tom Murphy, we need to stop these corporate price gougers for sure. How? I'm not sure, but it has to happen. Price caps would be great if we had a Congress that actually served us or a president that was not neoliberal. But alas, Joe Biden is a neoliberal. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Crystal has been fined and demerits applied. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, here's one from Chris Delbridge. I agree, Alan. I had heard it talked about as a motivator before, but to actually understand that it controls the confidence in the dollar is important. Yes, that is the power of the tax. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. When you have to pay that tax, baby, that's all real, right? And you can't pay it in chicken necks, sex. You can't pay it in freaking drugs. You can't pay it in seashells. You can't pay it in shit coin. You can only pay it in U.S. dollars. There's a reason for that. It's not that the country needs its own money back, folks. It deletes it. It shreds it. It needs it back so it can purge it because it's going to spend new money in. That's why it, I want you to think about this. That's why it's foolish when you hear people go, they're just printing money, man. They're just printing money. When you hear someone say they're printing money, you may not be where I am in your journey, but where I am in my journey is the minute someone says printing money, I literally throw up in my mouth a little. I literally do because we don't print money. Okay. I've talked about this before, but the fact is, is that the only time there's paper money really, and there's a war on cash folks, read Brett Scott, please. But the only way money comes in is via keyboard. Okay. They keystroke this stuff in. And when it comes back as a tax, they delete it out because whenever they spend a dollar into the economy, they create a subsequent reserve. So if you have a split ledger, you, know, you have debits and you have credits. 
they go ahead and register a reserve inside the banking system as a placeholder for the dollars spent into the economy. When dollars come back in, the reserve is de deleted and it's gone, okay? But they do something to drive money, to make it so it needs to get spent, and it's called interest on reserves. This is part of how the Federal Reserve, quote unquote, makes money. We'll get to that in a second. But what they do is with the interest on reserves, this is new money creation, man. The interest on reserves is basically expanding the money supply. So they want to bring taxes back to close out those reserves. Okay. But where do the where's the money come from to pay for the reserve to begin with? It comes from the federal government. It comes from the federal government. Okay, we don't have to sell bonds to finance government spending. They sell bonds, as Stephanie Kelton said, because it's collateral, if you will, for printing money, as they say. They don't print money, number one. And number two, they don't require collateral like that ever. But this is a, a way of the rich ensuring they get a piece of the pie as the money pool expands. They want to ensure that they stay flush, that it's not like they go down while others go up. They want to keep maintaining that up. So in our world, in the MMT world, we would suggest a number one, that we have a zero interest rate policy. Unlike what the fed's doing today, jacking interest rates up, we would have a zero interest rate policy. Okay. And we would use other mechanisms other debt instruments, other means of controlling inflation and so forth, whether it be ensuring that, you know, we have price caps on real goods and services, collaring, as Bob Hockett says, um, the um, uh, commodities, nationalizing commodities, nationalizing petroleum or banking and so forth. There's a lot of different aspects of this that could be done. Okay. So there's no one size fits all answer to this. But ultimately, inflation comes from when the federal government chooses to pay more money on something than it did previously. So if it pays $50 a barrel for gas one day, and then the next day decides that it's willing to pay $75 a barrel for petroleum, that will cause inflation because the government now has set the base price. The first purchase, the base price, that is how you set that wholesale price right there. The government has told you what this is worth. Then there's obviously retail markup beyond that. Okay. So, in order to understand inflation, you oftentimes hear people talking about printing money causing inflation. But how, if I put 20 of these sodas on my desk, would that create inflation? If I put a stack of a million bucks on my desk, would that cause inflation? Think about it for a minute. What could possibly create inflation by me putting a trillion dollars on my desk? How would that work? doesn't cause inflation. What causes inflation is several things. And it, 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 this is the problem. People want a simple one, one answer um, thing to their, their question. And it's not that simple. It depends. It's always the answer. So if you've got supply chain issues, right? Prices may go up temporarily to address the supply chain issue. How would you address the supply chain issue? Would you go ahead and raise interest rates or would you simply increase access to supply chains, make them more resilient. Only a stupid idiot would raise interest rates to solve that problem. A smart person would simply say, hey, it seems like we've got a supply chain issue. We need to build more resiliency into our replacements, et cetera, okay? So what happens often is that people just say, oh, the print money caused inflation. That's wrong, it's just wrong. Now, what happens if you have a commodity 
like petroleum that goes up from, you know, our real life world. Let's say gas is one minute, $2.75 a gallon. And the next day it's up to $10 a gallon. Well, if you think about everything that's touched by petroleum products, you're going to naturally have inflation. If that commodity goes up, it's going to increase energy and energy costs will be passed on. First rule of business management, increase in costs, we're going to raise prices to cover it. That doesn't have to be the case. The government could rule that a company is not allowed to have more than 25% profit. Otherwise, that profit after that would be taxed at 100%. You must keep the profit down and spread the additional profit to your labor or whatever. Personally, profit is just skimming unearned wages or wages that were not paid to workers, right? So there needs to be equity there, but that's another story for another day. All right. There's a bunch of other questions in here. Um, that I, I don't know if I'm going to be get to them all, but I'm going to try. Here we go. So uh, Danny says, Steve, why does my social security post two days after deposit? I, that's, that's a question I can't really answer. Um, but what I would say is that it would absolutely be a situation where the federal government makes payments, period. Every dollar social security payments are a new dollar. There is no stack of money sitting there in a trust fund that they spend money out. That's not the way it is. The trust fund only grants authority, authority to make payments. That's it. That's the key wording there that the trust fund has authority to authorize payments. All right. We don't need the trust fund. We could get rid of the trust fund yesterday. I think uh, there's a great video out there. Look for Alan Greenspan. Um, in fact, I may even have it here. Let me see if I have it. If I have it, I'll just play it for you right now so you can hear it. Um, yep, I have it. Here we go, folks. So having personal retirement accounts is, a, is another way of making a, a future retiree benefits more secure for their retirement. And also, do you believe that personal retirement accounts as a component to a system of solvency does help improve solvency? Because when you have a personal retirement account policy, it, it's accompanied with a benefit offset. With that feature in place, do you believe that personal retirement accounts can help us achieve solvency for the system and make those future retiree benefits more secure? Well, I, I wouldn't say that the uh, pay-as-you-go benefits are insecure in the sense that uh, well, there's nothing to prevent the federal government from creating as much money as it wants and paying it to somebody. The question is, how do you set up a system which assures that the real assets are created which those benefits are employed to purchase. So it's not a question of security. It's a question of the structure of a financial system which assures that the real resources are created for retirement as distinct from the cash. The cash itself is nice to have, but uh, it's got to be in the context of the real resources being created at the time those benefits are paid so that you can purchase real resources with the benefits, which of course are cash. Mm -hmm. All right. So you see that ultimately there's nothing preventing us from printing, as he said, or creating as many dollars as we want to. The real question is, will we have the real resources available for purchase? Can we create an economy where the real resources are available for purchase? It's nothing to do with money. We have it. We can create it anytime. 
Anybody that says other, it's not some pipe dream, folks. This is not some sort of fantasy land. This is not some whataboutism. We're the only ones that understand this. The MMT community is literally the only people that understand how economics works, okay? Now, there are people adjacent to the MMT community that understand more. They have uh, really, really complementary views, such as uh, Jason Hickel with his degrowth. He believes it marries perfectly with MMT, and I agree with him. And he is saying only an eco-socialist world. And it's still MMT works with an eco-socialist world. So I always wonder why, it's, why would somebody say something so worthless as MMT just enables capitalism? It makes you wonder why someone would say something like that. So it makes you feel a little disgusted inside, right? When people don't know better, but they say things anyway. To me, it's super important in this world to recognize you don't understand. And if you do understand, then it's important to be able to know where to find the backing documentation of what you're saying. Okay. This is part of the debate problem that activists have in terms of they hear somebody say taxes don't fund spending and taxes don't fund spending at the federal level. But what does that mean? And why does it mean it? There's a whole story behind that, right? And so the money story that Warren Mosler often talks about is, you know, they talked about a hut tax back in the day and they talked about um, how, you know, you had a peasant, right? Let's just, I'm going to come up with a, like a fake little story here. Dude back in the day lives in a shack with his family. He's got a field of potatoes and a, a creek to fish in, got deer in the backyard to go hunting, whatever. Life's grand, right? King comes down there with his two coconuts, two patsies. It's like, whoa, I am King Arthur. You know what? I didn't vote for you, right? Anyway, King Arthur comes and he says, hey, we want to build an aqueduct and we want to build a road, you know, roadway and we want to build a standing army and so forth. And so all of a sudden, what happens? The guy's sitting there going, you know, I'm enjoying picking up my potatoes and I'm enjoying, enjoying uh, fishing in my Creek and I'm enjoying spending time with my family. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into building your road or your standing army or whatever. King, you know, Arthur says, well, I certainly understand that. And he says, well, how about if I give you 10 of these gold coins? And the dude looks at him. He says, what the hell am I going to do with them gold coins? I've got fish. I've got potatoes. I've got a wife, got children. I got a donkey to ride around. What do I need your gold coins for? And the king's like, oh, you got a good point there, my friend. Hmm. How about this? I'm going to charge you a tax of 10 gold coins on your hut if you want to keep it. If you don't pay the 10 gold coins, we're going to take your hut away and your family will be homeless. And they're like, whoa, 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 hold on. Slow down there, cowpoke. How do I get some of them their gold coins? King Arthur goes, oh, thank you for asking. Let me tell you how you're going to get it, right? So he goes ahead and says, I need to build a roadway. I need to build an aqueduct. I need to build a standing army. And the guy goes, oh, okay, I'll do that for some gold coins. So now all of a sudden gold coins matter, right? It didn't matter five minutes ago, but they matter now, okay? So this is how it works. Yes, I will do more Q&A episodes, my friend. This is fun for me too, right? I just want to make sure that I, you know, I tell my stories. I like developing stories and analogies to do this stuff. Help, help, I'm being oppressed, yes. Um, 
But if you think about, well, thank you so much. I love you too. And thank you, everybody. I try so hard to do this stuff. And can you imagine how frustrating it is? I've been doing this now. I've been doing this for over 10 years. Can you imagine doing this for 10 years? I don't even, I mean, I'm just a dude, man. I'm a project manager by trade, right? But it's important that we know because we can't be effective activists and we aren't good voters. When you vote for somebody that says they're going to reduce the deficit, you are literally reducing the money in everyone's pockets because the deficit for the government is one side of the ledger. The, the deficit for us that are not currency issuers is a totally different deficit, right? And so our deficit, we can't make up by printing more money or keystroking money into existence. Only the federal government can do that. You see what I mean? So these, these are some of the really important things here to kind of remember, okay? And it's my hope, it's my hope that rank-and-file activists will try to resist the anti-Semitism of the Rothschild conspiracy. Believe There are rich, think about this. How many evil fucks do you know that are billionaires and old money and stuff like that? They want to control the world, baby. They were old money back in old Europe, back in England, when they were the global empire of the British Empire. <coughs> Woo! Anyway, when, when you think about that, there's a lot of old money around. The world didn't start when the U.S. came into existence, as it stands. After all, we stole this land from the indigenous folks, right? So you just know history started way before the USA started recording history. And rich people are not rich because of pieces of paper. They're rich because of their access to real resources. They own things. They own massive things. Their ability to survive, no matter what happens with money, is unparalleled, okay? So the Rothschilds are one group of rich people, just like all the British, just like the Russians, just like the Australians, just like the U.S. folks. There's rich people all over the world, many of them not your friends, many of them not your allies, okay? And, and they use patent laws to protect themselves while hurting you. Look at what happened with vaccines in the global south, in the African countries. If, if, if we wanted to kill black and brown people and vaccines were the way to do it, they would have given them away like candy to Africa. Obviously, the goal was to kill off black and brown people by not making these things accessible to them. Okay, This is one of those da moments that you have when you realize the way the finance operates. No matter how much we may hate or love Fauci, the bottom line is that Africa was left behind and others were left behind. So with that in mind, I just want to say this. I am right up against the hour here. I'm going to have to get my ass back to uh, work. I didn't answer every question. I answered as many as I could. This was great. We had a really good turnout. Really appreciate you guys coming through here. I give as much of myself as I can because it's that important. I hope you all, you know, even if you don't like me or don't agree with everything I say, I hope you at least respect the fact that I believe what I'm doing and I really put myself out there and I try. Um, I try really, really hard. Um, so please become a donor. Please help us, okay? We need your help. Um, a lot of people come in the door and they realize we're a skeleton crew because a lot of people don't really, they, they, they say a lot of things, they want to do a lot of things, but then they don't come around to do the work. Got a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas. They don't come around to do the work. 
and I'm out of hours. I don't, I have I'm out of arms and legs and brains. So if you want to help us get this message out there, by all means, share these, get people to come and follow our, our, our live streams, follow our work without you all. We don't grow, man. Facebook and uh, YouTube really stay. I mean, Facebook, we got 130,000 followers for these of you who are just getting to experience us. Real progress has been around for a long time. We have a lot of really, really um, good content on our website, our YouTube channel. My, uh, We've got tons and tons and tons of stuff. My podcast, Macro and Cheese, is epic. We're coming up on our 200th episode here soon. I have Ben Norton tomorrow coming out on Macro and Cheese, and it's a doozy. I hope you guys will take a listen. This is important stuff. I really, really appreciate you guys showing up. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. And I um, hope you learned something, and I hope you feel loved. I do love you all, even if I get cranky sometimes. I'm just 10 years saying the same thing over and over again, hoping it'll stick. I'm hoping you guys see us as a value, and I hope you'll consider becoming a donor, a monthly donor at our Patreon. And with that, check out Macro Cheese tomorrow. I am out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org.